We'll read Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 22. I'm going to be reading, this is from the New King James Version, so it'll vary a little bit from what you're used to hearing from the ESV. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Second Peter. But there were also false prophets among those people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lusts of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of that prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them 
and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. In several places in these scriptures, God has given us stern warnings about a season of time in which we will see rebellion and lawlessness and corruption and turmoil such as we've never seen before. And he calls those days the last days. And it's clear that you and I are actually living within those days that are described even today. Let me read about that in 2 Timothy 3. This is beginning in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 3. The Lord says, But know this, that in the last days, notice those words, in the last days, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, did you notice that those words that I just read from the Apostle Paul and the words that I read from Peter, they're very similar. And they are describing these days that you and I are living in right now. Now, yes, mankind has always, to some degree, had this kind of behavior. Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, without self-control and on and on. But here in these words, God has a special warning. The words from Peter, the part of our text that we were reading there, he has a special warning for you and me regarding the times now in which we live. And it's a warning, a special warning, that more than ever before, these in these last days, all of the corruption and the denying of God as our master that we might have once associated with the unbelieving world will now more than ever be reaching its tentacles into the core foundations of the church. Now more than ever, beguiling the naive members of our churches and carrying them away into corruption. The attack is upon the church. The average unbeliever who wants to participate in all of this corrupt behavior, they are not satisfied to simply separate themselves out and enjoy themselves over here in some corner. They want to come into mainstream church 
and insert themselves and all of their beliefs into the church. And that's what Peter is warning about here. And that was 2,000 years ago. And it is truly coming to pass during this generation. And the Lord's warning here that it's going to come in through the leadership of the churches. It's not as if someone's just going to come in the back door and start yelling their demands. No. Somehow that gets translated up into the pulpit. Verse 1, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Please understand these words. God is making it clear to us that people are not necessarily safe even within the walls of their own churches. He's saying to us that false teachers will worm their way into the congregations and they'll bring with them these secret destructive heresies, exploiting, as he says here, many of the naive church members with deceptive words. Now, why would they be called naive? Naive is because they have not taken the time to read and to study the precious truths that are within the pages of these Scriptures. And they're content with only listening to their preacher, to their teachers, to the special guests that are invited in, and also to their television Bible teachers and preachers. Content to listen, but not checking it back to the words of these Scriptures. Unfortunately, also, those heresies can well up from within old established churches and old established diaconates with their deacons and elders and the preachers and the teachers. Somewhere along the line, they have themselves been beguiled into believing these false doctrines and it begins to well up into destructive doctrines within the congregations. Now, that is horribly wrong. And that's why I say to you over and over again that you must always be ready to check everything that I say back to these Scriptures. I, I do not ever want to teach you destructive heresies. I would not intentionally do that. But I am subject to the same weaknesses as other men. And I might unknowingly put wrong doctrines into your mind. So I'm warning you to please be careful. Take the responsibility of reading these Scriptures for yourself. Now I want us to go back and touch on some of those destructive heresies that are at the foundation of what's going on in today's church. We said in the message last week, in today's culture, there's a strongly flowing trend towards liberalism. And that liberalism manifests itself with good intending messages that say we have to be relevant to the times and relevant to the thought processes of, of the members of our church. And we have to be inclusive. 
We're going to love the sinner and hate the sin. And we're going to be inclusive and we're going to bring a lot of those folks into our churches. Which both of those have good intentions. And they're probably the exact right thing to do, only we don't know how to do them. And before we know it, what takes place is the doctrines within the church start to change. And we move from this traditional and literal interpretation of Scripture into some new interpretations that are just more consistent and more favorable to this secular world view that's involved with being relevant and being inclusive. It is a dangerous path to walk. And I have to say to you, I don't know how to walk it. Before you know it, questions come up about some of the most foundational of the beliefs of our faith. Questions about whether or not this is the inspired Word of God. If every word within this is true, is it trustworthy? Is Christ who He says He is? Is He really God? Is there more than one way to be able to get to heaven? These questions come in. They're dangerous. And we have to know how to handle those questions. Because this really is the inspired Word of God. It is absolutely true. Everything else is a lie as compared to this. There's only one standard for moral behavior. It's in here. Now for us here, most all of us would just immediately declare that we would not fall into any of these traps. But listen, I want to warn us As our situations change and pressures of culture and the workplace and family come down on us, in our more desperate moments, we really will find ourselves reaching to believe things that we never believed before. That's the way of the human heart. If you don't believe it, read it in Jeremiah 17.9. He says, The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? We cannot even know our own hearts. These are warnings that this is going to happen in the last days. And we're in those. Your and my faith are going to be tested in ways that we had never known before with a great deal of difficulty involved in it. Now most of those false teachers that you and I get drawn to, we're going to like them. They're going to have personalities that will draw us to them. We're going to trust them. They will have the appearance of godly people. But they will be preaching a gospel that is not the gospel of our Lord. It will instead be a gospel that has been twisted just slightly enough to meet this deep need that has taken place now in our hearts. A need that is outside of the righteousness of God. Like some of those that we mentioned in an earlier message. Family problems that don't ever seem to resolve themselves. Rebellious children that deny Christ as their master. Sexual perversion. And especially if it's in somebody that we love. But then even 
more difficult if that sexual perversion is welling up within our own hearts. Those false teachers, as I said last week, they are willing to change God. And all they have to do is just kind of bend this book just a little bit. And they've changed God to where He is a little bit more accommodating to our needs. Introducing, as we're told here, secret destructive heresies. And those will embed themselves within our souls. Verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Here in the words of this chapter, God declares in detail the sufferings and the due penalties that will be paid for such rebellion. Both on the part of those who teach it, the false teachers, and those of us who might just get caught up in them and follow them. Now here in these words, God first deals with the false teachers. And He tells us in verse 3, By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. But then here's the warning. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, they also will be reserved for judgment. Now note there in verse 3 that God knows exactly what these false teachers are doing. He says, for a long time, their judgment has not been idle. Their destruction does not slumber. Those false teachers will get exactly what they deserve. They will be held accountable. And what does God say that's going to take place? And this is another one of the heresies that is taking place within many of our church doctrines these days. He mentions hell. They're reserved for hell. I mentioned another time that numerous times have I heard Christians right here in rural Mississippi saying that their pastor never mentions hell. Hell seems to be too divisive a subject for those preachers to deal with. And why is that? It's because if he deals with the subject of hell rightly, some of his members are going to be upset. As one of those old Mississippi sayings go, we each have a dog in that hunt. Or more plainly put, we each have something to lose. No exception. And we especially do not want to hear our pastor tell us that we or perhaps our family members, our children or our grandchildren are in serious danger of going to hell. You don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Now some would argue that, well, this portion of Second Peter here is just talking about false teachers going to hell. They're not the only ones that go to hell. Listen to these words from Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, all of our works, every day. Everything that we do is written down in the books. 
The sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And listen, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let me say to you, hell is a real place. Please don't walk away from here thinking that it isn't. And perhaps I should ask you, do you believe in a literal hell? That there really is an eternal burning lake of fire? The hell that's spoken about right here. Do you believe in that hell? Or has some false teacher sometime in the past put some doubts in your mind as to whether hell really exists? May I as your pastor, call everyone who hears these words into account that I have declared to you that there really is a place called hell. It's a literal place. It is a real place. It is a place of second death, as it's described here. It's a lake of fire with unimaginable suffering. And it's a place where people are forever separated from God. And also separated from anything else that is good. Not even a drink of water to cool the parched tongue as we found out with the rich man that was in torment. And let me say to you that it is heresy to preach and to teach otherwise. Hell is real. I love you folks too much to tell you anything but the truth that is given here in these scriptures. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you are eternally lost and condemned to this hell that's written about here. It is very real, and it is the sure and certain recompense that awaits anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. That's heartbreaking, especially when we start to think of our children or grandchildren. But this is the truth. Not what I want to believe. This is the truth. Now, as if that wasn't convincing enough, God goes on to tell us about the way that He deals with many others. And please understand from these words that He has given to us here that God really isn't this pushover, grandfatherly kind of guy that will somehow make a way for us and our errant children to get into heaven under any circumstance. He has provided a way for each one of us And we can get into heaven, but it is a very narrow path. It is through the shed blood and through the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And there is no other way. Now, we only have a couple of minutes remaining, but I want to touch on this one thing before we close. Verses 4 through 6. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. These words give warning that people will not only receive that due penalty of going to hell, they will also most likely suffer through some awful sufferings during this life before they are cast into hell. God 
spoke about the flood there specifically to warn us. And he spoke about Sodom and Gomorrah and how horribly and intense that suffering must have been as that fire came down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. That was intended as an example for us so that we had turned from our ways. And again, these days that we now live in, they are these last days. And what God is talking about here is coming soon. These are days of lawlessness filled with especially the similar corruption that Sodom and Gomorrah was condemned for. We'll talk about that more next week. This land of ours is a Sodom and Gomorrah. It really is. We not only participate in those kinds of corrupt practices, corrupt ways, sins, we guard other people's right to do it. Horrible. And what the Lord is warning us about here is He's going to do the very same thing in those very last days. He's going to rain hellfire and brimstone upon the whole earth, not just Sodom and Gomorrah, destroying all of the people that are left on this earth. Will you be left on this earth? I'll not be left on this earth. I am confident that the Lord will rapture out His people, those who believe in Him, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But there will be a lot of people left to suffer and die that horrible death. It's time to close. Listen to these simple words from the first part of verse 9. This is a promise to us. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. He will deliver you and me if we have Him as our Savior. Let's pray.